first, I think I needed the time in general just to help me get back in the flow of things. And I, it, it took some time for me to regain my confidence. And I'll say uh, after the bye week is when it, it, it really started to come back. And I, I started to feel like who I, I thought I was and who I am. Um, and I think once that happened, um, that's when my opportunity started to come. And uh, we had some injuries go down and make sure my boy X and DHC get well soon. But uh, just that happened and it was just my time to step up and they made sure to prepare me the whole time. That, ladies and gentlemen, is Chicago Bears rookie sixth-round quarterback Thomas Graham Jr. talking about his breakout performance Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. And it was all of that in his first NFL game, his first NFL start. Uh, He had seven tackles, three passes, defense. And just I actually filed my column today uh, at shawlocal.com kind of on this subject, uh, not just about Thomas, but... Uh, In in putting it together, I discovered that those three PBUs that he had Monday night, to give you an idea how significant that is, that now ties him for the third most on the team for the entire season. Uh, The only guys with more are Jalen Johnson, who has nine and 13 games. Uh, DeAndre Houston Carson has four and 14 games. And Kendall Vildor had four and 13 games. Uh, in one game, Thomas Graham is now tied for the third most pass to, passes defense on the team. It was a great performance. It stood out. I was tweeting about it before the first half was over. He got better in the second half. Matt Nagy immediately mentioned him in the postgame press conference. Now, it, it's one game. And, 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 you know, you remember Adam Thielen was in street clothes, and so that didn't hurt either. But he played really well. And, and, and I've got several texters here trying to take shots at Ryan Pace. Why did he sit on the practice squad for 13 or 14 weeks? Well, you know, guys, the way the practice squad works, all 31 teams can go to any practice squad they want and get any player they want. So it wasn't just the Bears who didn't realize that Thomas Graham could play the way he did Monday night. It was everybody in the league. The Bears were the ones who drafted him in the sixth round. And don't forget that after starting as a true freshman at Oregon and playing almost every game his first three years, he opted out in 2020. And that's what he was talking about when he said it wasn't until the bye that he started to feel himself again. So uh, in this particular case, just be happy that you saw what you saw Monday night. And and I certainly have to believe he's starting now the last three games across from Jalen Johnson, assuming Jalen can get back from COVID. Um, And Kendall Vildor actually played better Monday night after losing his starting job. And and, and I would hope that with these three games left, you're now going to play Vildor in the slot and and play Graham on one side and Johnson on the other side and see if cornerback is as big a need as it appears to be, uh, or at least appeared to be until last week. So um, uh, that was what that was all about. 312-644-6767 is the phone number on the BetQL listener line. Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit betql.com and we will go right there and see um am, am i at clint in columbus now uh brian is that who's up next i'm trying to keep up with who's so, on the line i know we've got a lot of calls tonight uh russ and davenport has russ been, is still with us yeah he's been waiting okay. patiently yeah then let's get to russ absolutely russ thank you so much for hanging on how you doing i'm good um so i won't say because you kind of proved your point that he can pick talent but I don't think Pace knows how to build a team. Um, to me, you start out with your offensive line, and you have to be able to protect your quarterback. you got to be able to open holes through, our running, through the running game. And The best team I know of that the Bears ever had had two 
first-round draft picks at tackle. They had a quarterback who wasn't by far the best, but with the offensive line he had in front of him, the fastest receiver in football. Our receivers don't get separation. And with what he's got left in draft picks, I don't know how you fix this. I don't see where all the conversation is on field when, to me, all the conversation should be on all the problems around him. Well, Russ, thank you for the phone call. Um, and I, I think we agree for the most part on almost everything. Um, uh, I, I've, I've told this story once or twice over the years on the air. I, I was uh, basically 25 years old, a year out of college, uh, and not intending to be in this business uh, when, when my dad uh, passed away very suddenly and, and the business was on the verge of, of collapse. Uh, you know, it was 1979. Um, and the two guys who raised me in this business, who reached out to me immediately, they were very close with my dad at the time, uh, were Jim Finks, who, of course, was the general manager of the Chicago Bears, and Al Davis uh, of the then Oakland Raiders. And what made them both Hall of Famers? What was what they believed in most? Well, you know, Jim Finks believed you build in the trenches, offensive and defensive line first. And Al Davis was the first one to recognize that speed kills and everything was about speed. And so to exactly the points that you just made, those are the areas where the Bears need to get much better. Now, um, interestingly, they tried to attack the speed thing this year. They have probably the fastest team in the league, you know, after signing. Uh, well, Darnell Mooney had a, a sub 440 time coming out of Tulane. And, and then you sign uh, Marquise Grissom, who is, you know, if not the fastest, uh, Marquise Goodwin, I'm sorry, I do that so often with those kids, and I apologize, Marquise. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, who, who is arguably, he's one of, if not the fastest players in the league. Uh, you know, you certainly have rare speed in Demir Bird, although it begins to look like he's not much of a complete football player. They added speed everywhere, and, and, and they need to continue to do that. They just have to have speed with guys who are good receivers. Um, now, to your point on the draft, you're right. This year is a problem. I think they've only got five picks, uh, uh, a second, and I don't know if they. I don't think they have a third right now. I'd, I'd have to go check that again. Um, so it's an issue, uh, but it's it's one draft, and um, I think that Ryan Pace has some excellent talent evaluation ability, um, uh, and I think he's got some management skills, but not enough to oversee the entire football operation. He has clearly not protected his assets in a way that he needed to. He has given up far too much to draft players, some of whom have worked out and some who haven't. Um, and that has to stop. And, and, and so, uh, you know, the hope is that, that they'll, they'll find a, a, a football, a top football person, whatever you want to call the job, president, uh, general manager, whatever you want. And then that person will decide if Ryan Pace should stay and be his top talent evaluator and general manager or not. And that person will decide on who their coach should be. But in order to fix this Bears team right now, um, it's hard to envision Allen Robinson being back. I would love to have him back. But whether he is or not, they need to get better at receiver. Darnell Mooney on his best day in the NFL is going to be a very good number two, but he's not a guy you build an offense around. And, and so, um, you know, Allen Robinson is a number one, but now coming off injuries this year, he did have an ACL injury a few years ago. He's going to be 29 years old. While he's been a number one, he may be best suited as, a, as an also like a two possession type receiver. The Bears need a number one with NFL speed, elite speed, and they need more speed behind them. But guys who can run routes and catch passes, you know, that that's what's missing there. They may have the nucleus of the offensive line together right now. 
We just don't know. It's very important to see what you get out of Tevin Jenkins and, and Larry Borum over the next few weeks. I like where the interior of the line is at. I think they re, they, they should re-sign um, uh, you know, James Daniels for sure. You go over on the defensive side, I absolutely I hope they re-sign Bilal Nichols. I think he's a very good football player. He's never going to be Akeem Hicks. I'm hard-pressed to see Akeem Hicks coming back. I think the way Robert Quinn is playing right now, there's no reason to predict his downfall. Um, and I think Khalil Mack is still capable of being one of the dominant players in the league, but they need at least one more special defensive lineman, uh, and you never have enough pass rush. And so to your points, Russ, uh, you know, that is a great place to build. At cornerback, we just talked about it. I think they have a real need there, but we may have a surprise. You know, it, it may be uh, that Thomas Graham has got a chance to be a really good football player. I know Jalen Johnson already is and is going to get better, and I'm not ready to quit on Kendall Vildor by any means. So um, that need may not be as great as you think. So as you look to address it and rebuild, yep, offensive and defensive line and, and receiver and speed at receiver, uh, to me, are the greatest needs right now, along with possibly cornerback as we see what's uh, uh, what's coming over these next few weeks. Let's get to uh, Logan Square, see if Jesse hung on too. Jesse, are you still with us? Hey, Hub, how's it going, man? Good. I appreciate you waiting for me, man. Thank you. All good, man. I wanted to chat about the Bears front office and competencies in this year, if you don't mind. Sure. So I'm a big Bears fan, right? And some of my friends call me a Ryan Pace big supporter, but it's not necessarily that I think he's a great GM. And before everyone crucifies me and thinking that I'm having him think that he should stay, I'm just worried that the same people, George and Ted, are going to be the ones making the decisions, and they may not hire even they're going to pick someone worse. Whether people want to hear it or not, Pace has had back-to-back solid draft classes, and this draft did play extremely well so far. I know it's really early, but looking at like what the latest production shows, he may have landed five starters. So the other side of the conversation, right, they drafted Mitch, made some really, really poor free agent signings with a lot of the guys that are older and off injured. I'm just really curious how this plays out. Yeah, I mean, Jesse... <laughs> I, I think for the most part, even though people come at it differently, we're all saying basically the same thing. Um, uh, one thing you need to get used to right now, though, is, is that the team isn't being sold in the near future. George is going to remain the chairman, uh, and George is going to make this decision as to how his front office is structured and who's going to be in charge of it. And, and uh, there's every reason to think that that he can make the right decision. Um, he has not done a great job of it so far. I mean, he took over from his brother, Michael, and, and, and while I don't think it had his fingerprints all over it, the first big moves were Phil Emery and, uh, and Mark Tressman, and that was disastrous. But he recognized it quickly. He pulled the plug quickly, uh, and that's when he went out and, and got Ryan Pace. Uh, you know, one of the things that people are not fair to Ryan about is that John Fox was not his choice as head coach. Yeah, he was brought in to oversee the football operation. He probably could have vetoed it and gone to war. But at that time, as the youngest general manager in the league, did you want the first thing that you did to be to fight with the owner who just hired you about their desire to hire John Fox because this veteran, crusty old, uh, savvy NFL guy who had taken two teams <laughs> to Super Bowls was going to come in and balance you out? It, it just wasn't his hire. He, he doesn't deserve to get to get hung out to dry for that one. Now, Matt Nagy is all his, and, and this has not worked out. And so he does have to own that and and, and you know, take the responsibility. 
Um, uh, but but that's why I mean there's so much about Ryan that um, it's he may have a place in the organization, but he does not have a place as the top football guy. And this isn't going to get fixed until they get the right person in that position. And and I'm sorry if Bears fans don't want to hear it, but there's no other way to do it. I mean George is going to have to do it and get this one right. And 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 I happen to to, to like George a lot. And, and, and I think he is, you know, smarter than people give him credit for. Uh, the, the one disconnect that we've always had with the McCaskey family, though, is that you'd think they'd be the ultimate football people when you look at their bloodlines. But they've always really been more fans than football experts. And some of that has been because they take this position that they don't want to meddle in the football business, that they're bringing in professionals to do it. And so much like his uncle Muggs, um, hired Jim Finks, not because he knew he was the guy, but because he was his best friend. Uh, you have to hope that George can make that kind of hire. And, and if he does, then I have every confidence that they'll make the right decisions about what to do with Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and, and that this thing can get fixed relatively quickly. I think that's really fair. And like the one thing I always kind of relate the Bears to, it's, it's like when you have that really bad boss and you know you value yourself really high but then you realize he makes a ton of bad decisions and just doesn't know how to interview well. I look at the Bears like that, right? There's just there's that old business that maybe got passed down, and it's just it's really clear that they just don't have true leadership in that front office. Like I always say, the best coaches and leaders in the world always delegate well, build a process and system really well, and it's repetitive success from what you see it. The Bears just seem like a bad boss, and they don't know how to interview their own talent. Yeah, um, you know, Jesse, I appreciate the phone call. I'm going to have to run here. All I can tell everybody is I ran my own business for over 40 years, and, and I had some big wins and some ugly losses, and I made some great hires and some of the worst decisions you could ever make, and some of the bad decisions came after I'd been doing it for 20, 30 years. This is not an exact science, you know, and, and, and no, George's track record or his batting average, I guess we'll say, isn't good enough right now. Um, but, but it certainly isn't hopeless either. And so, um, I think the focus really needs to be on when we hear his next decision, what that step is, and then, you know, hope that the people around him, that he's reaching out to the right people for advice and that they're interviewing the right folks and that they make the right hires. Cause I do think there's going to be change. And I think what we're all waiting for now is to get a feel for how much change it's going to be. Guys, we've got another great guest lined up, and we're going to um, uh, uh, welcome in Mark Potash, who covers the Bears for the Chicago Sun-Times. Just a couple of minutes, more talk exactly on this subject. I know Mark has some very definitive thoughts. I do have to apologize uh, to Lou and St. Pete and Clint and Bob and Russ. Uh, actually, Russ dropped it, but Lou and Clint and Bob, I know you guys have been holding We've got two great guests coming up, so I'm not going to be able to get back to the phone lines for about a half an hour. If you'd like to call me back then, I will absolutely put you first in line. If you want to hang on and listen to the show, you're more than welcome, but I just want to be fair with you and let you know what's coming next. Next is Mark Potash of the Chicago Sun-Times with more Bears talk right here at 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. Real quick on that, Matt, uh, you yourself have kind of tempered expectations of Komet saying like, He's not Kelsey. I mean, he, Kelsey's at such a high level, it's, it's kind of un, unfair to, to Cole. Is the same thing applied to, to Wilson and, and, and Justin? I mean, can Justin become what Russell Wilson is, or is that expecting – is that setting the bar just too high? No, it's not setting the bar high, but, you know, I just, I just believe that any of these quarterbacks, really any position, like you said with Kelsey and Komet, all these quarterbacks are different for different reasons. 
but you know, Justin's going to, you know, make his own path and blaze his own trail. And um, however it's going to be, you know, people are going to be wanting to be Justin Fields and, and whatever that is, whatever type of quarterback that is, whatever he does in his career. Uh, but there's always these quarterbacks, these great quarterbacks, they all have so much respect for each other because they grow up watching each other. And so um, I don't want to compare or say, yeah, he's going to be Russell or better or, or, or worse than him. I just know that when you talk to, you know, uh, any of these guys, they're all going to have mutual respect. Chicago Bears head coach Matt Nagy today answering a question from the one and only Mark Potash. Potsy, of course, the Chicago Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. I should say one of the Chicago Bears beat reporters for the Chicago Sun-Times and uh, one of the best in our room. Always a pleasure to get to visit with him in Hallis Hall. Mark and I have a little bit of fun back and forth on Twitter as well. And and Mark, that is the ultimate compliment to you because there's very few people I have fun with on Twitter. It, it is not my favorite uh, medium, but I do enjoy it when you and I get to go on back and forth a little bit. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Hub. How you doing? I'm doing good, and thank you for taking a little time out for us. I, I'm curious, um, and, and I'm going to get to something that you and I have been kicking had been kicking around on Twitter the other day. But first, um, uh, the, the the Russell Wilson comp that you went for with Justin Fields there, um, what what brought you to that? Why 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 is that the question? Well, because they're playing Russell Wilson this week, and it's just okay. another reminder. Of um, you know how you know uh, of, of of the best case scenario when you have a quarterback situation, a quarterback scenario introducing a rookie quarterback, and how the Bears have handled it. You know when when the when the uh, when the when the Seahawks they signed Matt Flynn as a free agent, just like the Bears signed a free agent, had him slotted to be their number one quarterback, had a young drafted guy in the third in the third round, and Russell Wilson had a chance to you know then, then saw him in two games. All he needed was two games, and all of a sudden he had a chance to win that job and. And, uh, and and next thing you know, Russell Wilson's having a phenomenal uh, rookie season. They won the Super Bowl the next year. And so um, that's one, I guess that's one level. But on the other level, they, they are both, you know, they're, they're considered coming out when, when um, Justin Fields was coming out of the draft, he was considered a similar talent to, uh, to Russell Wilson, very you know, similar skill set. They could both run. They both make big plays. On the college level, um, Justin Fields is the same type of big game, big play player that, that Russell Wilson has been. And so I think it's it's been considered a fair cap. Now I will say this: Russell Wilson, uh, Justin Fields, I kind of wrote today in, in uh, for the Sun Times, is a long way to go to catch Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson already just on one facet. He, uh, Russell Wilson um, has missed two games in in ten years, and Justin Fields has missed two games in one season. I mean, already he's he hasn't shown that knack for staying healthy that Russell Wilson has, but also there's so many, so many other facets to Russell Wilson's game, as you've seen over the years, just the idea of just, just the way he runs his, uh, he's just very fluid in his, in, in his decision-making on when to run, when to slide, you know, he just drives defenses batty. And frankly, Justin Fields, for all the speed he has, is still trying to figure that out. And Russell Wilson had that figured out by his rookie year. So I guess that's, that's to me, uh, that's why it's to me. Uh, and because they're playing the, the Seahawks, that's why it's a, a, a fair, 
conversation to have. Yeah, and a great conversation. I don't mean I'm not challenging it in any way. There's such different body types, and I have a bad habit of doing two or three things at once when we're on those zooms, and so it kind of caught me. Uh, I guess I need to pay closer attention because it was it's a very interesting conversation, and you make a lot of great points with it. So one of the main reasons I wanted to get you on tonight, uh, beyond the fact that I always just enjoy getting to visit with you, and you have such extensive knowledge of the bears is um, uh, watching the last couple of weeks, I see a kid like Tyler Huntley, um, who is an undrafted rookie free agent out of a relatively small school, sits on the practice squad for a year and a half, finally gets on the football field, and in his first three extensive playing opportunities, two starts and then coming off the bench against Cleveland, he is clearly more advanced at this point in his second year in the league than Justin Fields is. Now, it is his second year in the league, and yet he has far less time on the field. And, and so I pose the question, when are we going to start addressing not only the problems with the Bears and their offense, but the problems with Justin Fields' game? And, and your response, for the most part, was, and, and, I, and I want to let you offer it, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but this is just, and again, it's all in fun, it's what got me started, is that it's the offense, it's the coach. And, and so um, I, I'm curious, uh, maybe just to get a little deeper with that from you and, and hear your thoughts on why, why is, you know, what I think is objective analysis of where Fields is at, kind of, uh, it's almost like it's unfair ground for a lot of folks if, if you don't blame it all on Nagy and the offense. Yeah, I think it's fair to wonder, I do myself, whether, uh, I don't think we know for sure that Justin Fields is going to be everything that they thought he, uh, the Bears think he'll be. I just don't, I just don't see it uh, you know, right now as you see flashes. But I think the biggest reason for that is because he's in a bad offense. I just think this offense just makes players worse than, than they are, uh, Cole Komet included. Frankly, and uh, and 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 I just think that you know it's I, there's so many red flags about this offense um, and why it's bad from going from Allen Robinson suddenly being a spare part in this offense to um, to the to having a good running game but being like eighth in running and 28th in points most that's very unusual all sorts of there are all sorts of to me telltale signs this is just a bad offense no offense to Matt, Matt Nagy I, I like him. He's obviously very earnest. He's, he's, I'm sure he's good at what he does, but it's not working out here. And I just think there's been too many, too many examples of players like that and, and instances like that where they should be better than they are. So I blame it on the offense. And like I said when I was, uh, I guess, tweeting at you or whatever, I said, you, you, this, uh, uh, Justin Fields could watch this offense, somebody else win this offense for five years, and he'd be just as bad in 2026 than he would, than he would now because it's, it's just not a very good offense. And I think that's kind of uh, putting the clamps on, on, on Justin Fields. But I will say, I think there's legitimate questions if you've got to say, will, will, it be, will Justin Fields be everything they think? Right now I haven't seen enough evidence to say yes. He can't rise above the muck of this offense, but I think uh, maybe a different offense, which I think we'll see next year, a better one, I think then he can lift the team and, and, and be that player. But we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, you know, no, offense, and, no I, it's not personal <laughs> offense to it at all. As a matter of fact, I, I go the other direction. I am still pretty confident this kid's going to be a really good quarterback because I, I see the rare arm talent and the special athleticism. And, and I think with the right coaching and development that he can be a great quarterback. I don't necessarily get as deep in the weeds with the offense because um, I don't know that we've ever seen Matt Nagy's offense. That, that, that's part of the problem. 
Um, but, you know, and Matt will make the argument that, well, it's, it's, it's basically what I took from Kansas City, and we know how successful it's been there. So, you know, we can debate the offense all day long. I, I don't choose to, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that you're wrong. But, but where, where I do get frustrated is I've spent this year, I, I consider my job to do objective analysis about these players and how they're playing. You know, irrespective of the position they're putting in, are they doing the right things physically and mentally? And, and, and I know one of the things that, that troubles me about where Fields is at right now, and I think it can be fixed, but I, I count on almost one hand on any given Sunday the times that he hits a receiver in, in rhythm or in stride. You, you know, and, and you know if you notice a lot of his best plays that people rave about, it's when the, the receiver has to make a 180-degree turn and be facing him to catch the ball and often reach for it. You know, and, and a lot of passes that are completed are more good catches than good throws. And, 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 and these are the things that, that, that people brush off and they talk about the offense, but um, I don't know that the offense is as much the problem is the fact that this kid doesn't know how to execute it yet. And I, I think uh, that's a legitimate point, but I would argue that I think this offense isn't playing to his strengths. And these quarterbacks today, they've got to be comfortable doing what they're doing, most of them anyway, or certainly the ones like Justin Fields. And I don't think it's playing to his strengths. I don't think he's ever been really comfortable in this offense. And I think quarterbacks have to be in a rhythm. They have to be in a groove. Otherwise, they don't have the confidence to make those accurate throws. That's why a guy can seem unbelievably accurate in some cases, and then other times he's not because he's just not comfortable. And I would argue that, uh, that I don't think this offense has, has allowed him or taken advantage of what he does best and, and given him the opportunity to get in that groove. It's kind of like Cutler where he was always at his best in a hurry-up offense, and 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 when he was kind of when when he didn't have to think, when he didn't have too many people talking to him, the you know the more was he was in control of himself, he was always better that way. I think it's similar. Justin Fields has said the same thing. You just don't have to think when you're in, when you're in a hurry-up or tempo or whatever. But I think basically the point is when you're in a groove, when you're comfortable in the offense. And I I'm not a quarterback expert, but I. I think I've watched enough football. You know, he's not really comfortable in this offense, and I think that's—I would say—that's as big a problem. That's—that's why he's being inaccurate uh, more than anything else. But I can't—I can't prove that. So I, I can't, you know, so your point is is valid. He might not be as accurate as as people have said he is, because even on like the deep balls, he's supposed to be really accurate on that, and 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 you know, better better than Trubisky. And I think he has been, but not to the point you know that I think we thought it would be. Mark, we've only got a couple minutes left, and, and, and I, I'm curious as to... I'm just getting started, Hub. I know, I, and, and I wish we could stay, but I've got another guest coming up. Joe Colley's coming in, and Colley, well, if that, I didn't come to talk about the Steelers... I defer Joe, to I Joe. <laughs> well, at least you guys are under the same same roof anyway. Uh, no, we're, we got to talk some NBA and figure out what's going on there. But before I let you go, uh, and we'll do this again. I, I actually, matter of fact, uh, I'm going to try and get you to commit right now. I am hosting from 2 to 6 next Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so I'm going to try and grab you. Uh, we'll see if we can put back-to-back segments together and really get into this stuff. But um, uh, right now, what everybody wants to know is what's coming next. And we're all working our sources as best we can. I will personally be shocked if Matt Nagy survives this. And as much as I like Matt, and I don't think he gets a, a completely fair rap, I do think he needs to, the change needs to be made. He, you know, let's, Monday night was his 63rd game as the head coach, and, and it was as disappointing a performance as we've seen in a long time. You have to make a change. Um, I, I'm not as clear on what needs to be done in the front office. Uh, we're all working our sources. What's your best take on what you expect and, and what you think they might be thinking right now? 
Well, I expect that, I expect them to try and address the uh, 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 to address the issues above the coaching level. I think they'll do something with Ryan Pace. The only question is, and I think it's going to be the big question of the press conference, uh, if it works out the way I think it will be, is who's going to have ultimate authority on the roster on, on, uh, as far as you know any general managership type things? Because that's the question. Is are they? I think they're going to make a move with with Ryan Pace, but I don't know if they're going to have somebody above him next to him, below him, or whatever. I think they're going to do something to kind of uh, fend off uh, uh, you know, fan outrage, but I don't think it'll be successful unless they clean house, frankly. Um, and unless somebody above Ryan Pace has ultimate authority, a president of football operations, somebody who can tell you that when, there's, uh, you know, when somebody reports uh, that Nagy's been fired, that they know to say, hey, let's nip this in the bud right now instead of just letting a forest fire uh, build like they did. That's, what, that's the kind of leadership they need, and that's the kind of leadership they don't have. And that's, a, that's one little thing. I know it's just one thing, but it's one little thing that has caused, that gives them this, this um, reputation for dysfunction uh, uh, that, they've, that they've very well earned. Mark, always fun. Thank you so much for taking time tonight. Sadly, we're not going to see each other in the room for the rest of this season. That's part of the COVID protocol, something we're going to talk with Joe Colley about in a few minutes in another sport, but same situation. But I will see you on Zoom tomorrow, so you have a great night. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Looking forward to it, Hub. Thanks a lot. That is Mark Potash, as we know and love him, Potsy, the Bears beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. We're going to take a quick commercial break here. We're going to switch sports, but probably similar subject. we got to figure out what's going on in the NBA. The Bulls have been a great story this year, a delight to watch when they get to play. Not playing tonight, canceled because of COVID. We're going to find out what's going on from Joe Colley, the Chicago Sun-Times outstanding NBA writer, in just a moment right here on The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Bulls win it 133 to 118. Both coaches waving off one another, wishing each other well. This ball game is over. Bulls win. Bulls win. Bulls win. A blowout here at the United Center 133 118. That, of course, my buddy Swirsk, Jeff Swirsky, with another Bulls win. Uh, you hear the Chicago Bulls right here at 670 to score, the radio home of the NBA Chicago Bulls. And uh, I think, you know, if not the biggest, one of the biggest surprises and most pleasant stories of the NBA season to date. Uh, I, of course, get buried in the NFL this time of year. I'm not going to pretend to have knowledge that I do not, and that's why I go seeking for some of the smartest guys that I know on the beat. One of them is Joe Colley, covers the Bulls for the Chicago Sun-Times as well as the NBA, and Joe, good enough to take some time out for us tonight as well. I always, Joe knows, I promise, that uh, when he does me the favor of coming on and talking Bulls, he gets a few minutes to talk about his beloved Steelers, but we'll do that at the end, Joe. Uh, first of all, how you doing? I hope you're staying safe and healthy and everything's good. Yeah, how are you doing? Happy holidays to you and the family. Thank you. Same to you. Yeah, we're all good so far. Unfortunately, uh, the Chicago Bulls have just not been able to stay healthy lately. We're, we're going to get to that in a minute and talk about where the league is at with all this. But but because we haven't visited in a while, I just want to set the table first. Um, uh, last time we talked, I asked, you know, how good are these guys? And I think you said, yeah, I think they're good. I don't know how good. Uh, well, right now they're the second best team in the Eastern Conference, and they have been pretty much since the season started. So, so what are your thoughts now uh, as they're really, uh, you know, more than a third into the season? 
Well, first of all, credit to Billy Donovan for um, and, and for Arturis and Mark Eversley for building this team and, and getting this collection of guys together. Because, you know, the, the one thing that can't be overlooked is you really got a group of guys that not only are, are likable, but all have kind of a chip on their shoulder and have a lot to prove and are playing like that. I mean, they bring it on a nightly basis. I mean, Caruso felt like the Lakers turned their back on him. DeRozan felt like, you know, people put him on a milk carton for the last three years when, when he went to San Antonio and Toronto won that championship without him. Uh, Zach Levine feels like he's a max contract guy and has been, been play, playing with that. Io felt like he was a first-round pick and, and slid to the second. I mean, you go right down the line and, you know, <clears throat> the NBA season's long, and you have a lot of teams, your Milwaukee's, your Brooklyn's on some nights, and, you know, I'm just talking about the East Miami's. Well, they're not really interested in, in winning the regular season. The regular season is kind of to get through it. Um, you know, if you have younger guys, get them developed, uh, build some chemistry. But but it's really all about the, the postseason for some of those teams. The Bulls, it's about that next game, that next opponent. And, and beat that opponent's butt that night. And, and, and that's hard to do. And I talked to Billy about that a couple of weeks ago. That It reminded him of his Florida Gators team when he had Joe Keem and, and, and all those guys. I mean, they just wanted to beat whoever it was in front of them, whether it was a pickup game or a scrimmage or, or a, an SEC game. It didn't matter to them. And so uh, this team kind of has that same mentality. How that plays in the postseason, which is a completely different form of basketball, we'll see. But Bulls fans have to be pretty excited about what they've seen so far. You know, Joe, this is just a, you know, a novice, a fan from the outside, but the DeMar DeRozan sign, sign it was almost quiet when it happened, and, and yet yeah. he's playing at a level right now um, where, where he seems to be, at least from where I'm sitting, the, the biggest difference between just being an improved competitive team to possibly being a really good team. Yeah, I mean, his, his, his career path and his, and I've talked to several people about this. It's kind of been – the narrative is really not fair for him. I mean, that Toronto team he played on with Ian Lowry and then a different cast of characters for, for a while was a really good team. And they just happened to be running into a guy named LeBron James every year. You know, sort of like those Cavs teams in the 90s or those Knicks teams in the 90s, really good teams, probably championship-worthy teams. But there was a guy named Michael Jordan who kept blocking their path and getting in their way and, and making them dismantle and rebuild and, and think about things differently. And, uh, that Toronto team kind of reminds me of one of those teams that was just blocked by a guy that was just elite and, and one of the best players you know the game's ever seen. And so they break that off. They bring in Kawhi, who, you know, I mean, had a great lucky bounce but at the same time also had a Golden State team that was decimated by the time they got to the finals. Toronto delivers that championship without DeRozan, who's now down in San Antonio, and then it's easy to poo-poo what he is. Mid-range guy, doesn't shoot the three. Um, you know, Lowry and, and, and he, who really was the Batman of that group. So the narrative of what he was really wasn't fair to a lot of people on the outside. I think people inside the game understood his place and understood what, what exactly he was. And and so it was one of those signings that, you know, the Lakers wanted him. The Lakers made moves like, you know, conversations with LeBron and, and, and all that stuff. And then when Russ came up and, and, and Washington decided to move on from him, um, they jumped at Russ. And, and so I, I would have it would have been neat in a different dimension to see what the Lakers would have been if it was DeRozan in that mix because I, I would have liked to see the way he 
mid-range with that group. But, um, you know, it didn't happen. And, and credit to the Bulls. And, you know, I, I thought it was a great signing. I wrote it was a great signing. Um, you know, I thought it was funny that some people thought it was a terrible signing. I didn't see it that way. You know, the constant narrative about the NBA is you need three superstars to contend. And the Bulls have three all-stars in DeRozan and Levine and, and Vucevic when he's when he's playing well. But but I don't know that you'd call any of them the kind of superstars you talk about uh, to, to be a championship contender. What What's missing? Is there, is there one or two more pieces or the development of somebody else there that, that could make them a legitimate contender? Well, I mean, the Patrick Williams injury was... was catastrophic as far as his development in year two and what they were counting on from him. And he wasn't playing great, but it was so early before he got hurt. He kind of looked lost out there. He's just far too passive for my liking on some nights. Um, and that could change. That's just a young guy. I think, uh, you know, a really young guy, 20. I mean, just trying to figure out his way in the NBA. Um, but his development, I think would have been huge um, because you're missing that physicality. You're missing that, that, that one more wing defender, you're kind of missing that that four, that that power guy from this lineup. Um, that's a tough position to go into the postseason, especially in the East. You know, throwing you know Caruso and Ball and guys like Julius Randall, and you know you're you're trying to mix and match and Javante Green and Derek Jones, and you're very undersized with some lineups. So that's tough. Um, whether they could address that at the trade deadline, possibly. I mean, if if Kobe White continues to play well, is that a trade asset? Because, you know, you have to make a decision on him pretty soon with his rookie deal starting to come up. And do you want to extend him? What do you want to do with him? Do you want to wait and see for one more year? Um, and then he possibly could, could exit stage left. So how they want to handle that, you know, who knows? Uh, they don't have a lot of draft, draft picks to move. I mean, they're just kind of in a tough spot. You're almost, if you're trading Kobe White, you're almost trading your problem child for someone else's problem child who happens to be a four that you see something in or you see something you can fix. So is that a Bagley? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is exactly right now because I don't know what's being put out there um, from other teams. And, and I think we're still too early in this to for, for, for AK to actually have a good idea. But it'll show itself. And, and, and the one thing he's shown and the one thing Mark Everly has shown is they are very aggressive. They are not afraid to mortgage picks. They're not afraid to mortgage um, players that were considered key for the, for the rebuild a couple of years ago in, in a former regime. Uh, you know, they, they believe in winning today. And, and um, so I'll be anxious to see if they can pull something off come trade deadline time. But that's, that's the biggest glaring problem is they're just undersized and, and lack of physicality on some nights. And all that stuff is kind of um, put, uh, put under a microscope come playoff time. Joe, unfortunately, in today's pandemic world, uh, and this is not a complaint because everybody is dealing with it, but in a lot of industries, you just work from home. It doesn't work that way for uh, professional right, sports, right. Uh, you know. And so Adam Silver has said today, I believe, that, that he is not considering a pause for the NBA like the NHL just undertook. The flip side of that is the NFL, which managed to go ahead and play games, even though teams had half their starters on the COVID list. Bulls can't canceled tonight uh, what is uh, does the nba really have a policy at this point and, and if so you know what's your understanding of, of what we might be able to hope for and expect in the coming weeks well yeah i mean the policy is if you have eight functioning bodies you're playing that night the, where where there are there are some postponements that have happened when teams have had eight healthy bodies like the bulls did last week 
But that was different circumstances. They they were afraid of the spread. The spread rate was ridiculous for the Bulls. I mean, you had one or two guys going down every day. So they shut that that down just for the spread rate, even though they had eight for that Detroit game if if they needed. And the other part of that, Toronto or in Canada, we all know what's going on there. They don't want a depleted team that could have a spread factor coming across the border. I mean, so that Thursday game to me was going to be an automatic postponement. I was just waiting to see on, on that Monday if Tuesday was going to be postponed too, and it was. Um, so I think, that, you know, a couple things factor in. Uh, you know, Toronto didn't have enough functional bodies tonight, so that that's why that one was banged. Um, so it's a policy, but it's fluid because all of this is fluid. And, and you know, I respect what Silver's trying to do, push through. Um, I think uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, I think the writing that was on the wall that the next – six to seven weeks are going to be tough for the NBA. You had people coming out of Thanksgiving, spread started there. Um, you had teams playing each other, and then two guys would go in from one team, and then sure enough, a day later, the spread would go to the other team. You know, that's what happened with the Bulls, with Charlotte, and then all of a sudden Kobe White was that first domino to fall. So, um, you know, I think they probably have been thinking that this is going to happen, and it's probably not going to get any easier with Christmas and more more guys having family over and, and New Year's. You just kind of got to ride it out. And, and, you know, fortunately for the Bulls, at least the science that we know of as of right now, which, again, is fluid, hey, you have all these guys that got it. The science and the, and the medical people are saying, you know, you should be – we should be kind of bulletproof for three, for three to six months, the, the guys that, that got it. And so – that's what they're banking on, and it's almost like the NBA is quietly trying to just herd immunity all these guys and just say, okay, let's just all get, get what we can get now and ride this through, and hopefully by February most teams have had it go through and most guys are good. And as long as there's no big setbacks with a guy or a big health setback, I don't think they're going to bang any, bang any games or say, hey, we're not playing this game or we're going to limit the amount of games this season or we're going to pause. You know, I mean, it could change, obviously, but I just think they want to push this thing through. Do you have any sense? Uh, we're not, I shouldn't say we're not allowed to ask the question. We can ask, but we rarely get answers in the NFL as to who's vaccinated and who's not. We have a pretty good sense. Uh, do you have any sense of what the vaccination rate is with, with the Bulls and in, in, in the league in general? The Bulls, with the group that started the year, were 100 percent vaccinated as far as the players. They made a point as a group, and and that's why it's, they're so frustrated because they made a group a group decision. Let's all get vaccinated. Let's not goof around here. Let's do it for each other. And then half of them, from what I understand, were boosted too. So that's kind of where. All right, you know, I mean, you can mask up, you can vaccinate, but it's going to get you. I mean, you know, it's going to find you once it finds its way onto that team. You're on on those planes together. You're in the film section together. You can separate all you want. You're in the training room together. You're in a locker room together. There's only, especially on the road, there's only so many places you can really hide from each other, and and that's difficult. I I think that's why you're seeing it kind of just, you know, kind of rip through teams. It's just hard to hide from each other. So, you know, I, I can't speak for other teams, but the Bulls made it a point. Um, I don't know about some of the new guys, McKinney or what Stanley Johnson's, you know, what, what his deal was, although he was on the team in, in the fall. So that group made it a point to, to say, hey, we're all doing this for each other. We're all vaccinated. And, and, and from what Nikola Vucevic told us last week, you know, half these guys got booster already too. So, and it was done, a lot of them was, was done through the team. So we're not talking some Antonio Brown fake card stuff. We're talking about <laughs> real legit 
we know you got boosted. Your card's good, and uh, let's get this done. And so um, that's what's been frustrating for these guys. Is they, they did everything the right way where a lot of teams didn't, and they seem to have paid the biggest price so far in the, you know, in the last two weeks. All right, Joe, I got to run, but I got to, before I go, I know you're riding the roller coaster with your Steelers. And I'll tell you what frustrates me is I keep getting these people calling me and writing me, want to know, you know, why won't they fire Mike Tomlin, who in my mind is no question one of the four or five best coaches in the NFL. You know, it it is a little puzzling to me because Kevin Colbert's never ended up in a situation like this where there are some obvious holes on the football team. But but I'm astounded by the way Tomlin keeps bringing him back every time we think that it's time to leave him for dead. Yeah, it's it's been rough. I mean, you know, I mean, I've never seen middle linebacker play this poor. Devin Bush, I, I don't know what if he's not even the same guy they picked. I know he's coming off the ACL, but I've never seen a middle linebacker for the Steelers play so poor. Um, Schobert was supposed to help out. He hasn't. I, it's it's been a disappointing year when the bar is always set so high. Um, but the idea of firing Tomlin or moving on from Big Ben um, with what you have in the stable. With you know, we saw the what, what Mason is against Detroit. I, no thanks, you know. I mean, so yeah, this is going to be the first year in a while this off season where a lot of things have to be filled, a lot of holes, um, and it's going to be tested. I mean, this is you know, it's not a rebuild; it never is with the Steelers, but it's definitely a reload. And I'm anxious to see if these quarterback rumors with certain guys are true. Um, you know, it's 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 probably going to be one of the more interesting seasons in probably two decades, just because you do need to address the quarterback situation. But it's been it's been rough. I mean, you just look at the remaining schedule, and Tomlin's pulled off some miracles before, but this, this one with Kansas City and you know Cleveland, and then finishing with Baltimore. Um, you never know, but even if they make it to the playoffs, really, how much knockout power do they have? You know what I mean? It's just they, they've they've got a lot of problems. Joe, I'll be pulling for you because there's nothing left to pull for here. So you uh, stay safe. <laughs> and, uh, I hear you. Uh, good, brother. Stay safe, stay healthy. Joe Colley covers the Bulls in the NBA for the Chicago Sun-Times, does an outstanding job. He is also a lifelong Pittsburgh Steelers fan. We are going to get to a very quick commercial break, but we've got one hour left in our show. And, guys, nothing left but you. I want your phone calls, 312-644-6767. No more guests coming in to tie up the line so again give me a call 312-644-6767 you can text me at that number as well and we are back to join you on the betql listener line and in the rosen hyundai tech zone right after these quick commercial words <laughs> 